Do you ever have those people in your life that are just so hard to get a gift for? You know, that person that you need to get them something and yet they just seem to have it all. Or that friend that her birthday just comes up every year and you're like, oh man, once again, what do I get her? I just don't know. Uh, Well, with Christmas quickly approaching, maybe quicker than you realize, this topic often comes up. You know, what are we going to get for the people in our lives for Christmas? Someone already approached me and told me that they want me to write down what they can get for each one of my children. Like, do you know how many kids I have? (laughs) This is a task just for me alone to figure out what I need to get my children. And she wants me to think ahead and send this to her. She said, please, it'll make my job so much easier. And I'm sure we can all relate to that, right? When you have a long list of people to get gifts for, if you could just take out the guesswork, it would be a big blessing, especially if you want to get those people something that they would actually appreciate and use. And especially if it's someone that you really care about. Uh, So think about that for a second. Think about one of the people that you love the most, and it is time to get them a gift. If you could know the best gift to give them, something that you could actually get them, something that you could afford, and it would make them so happy, wouldn't you be so relieved to know what that is? I mean, especially if you could know exactly what it was, like specifics. Like you knew what store to go to, where you could get this item, and, and you knew maybe what color it was, or you knew what the brand was that, that they specifically wanted. If you could know it, you would be happy to go find it, right? You would happily buy that item, you would wrap it up, you would give it to them, you would be so excited to do so, it would be 100% worth the effort because you love them, you want to show them that love, you want to make them happy, you'd be all about it. Well, that's essentially what we get to experience in our text this evening as we look at it. In chapter one of Colossians, the apostle Paul prays this prayer. And as he's praying this prayer, we see that he is listing out what the Colossian Christians could do that would be fully pleasing to God, that would make God happy. I mean, really all Christians, what we could do that would allow us to live a life that fully pleases God, and what could we want more than that? I mean, we have what God wants on paper. No guesswork needed. Because as the Apostle Paul says this prayer, he ends up doing so with specifics. So we can actually be confident that we could live a life that fully pleases God. So let's read this text. It's this beautiful prayer in Colossians chapter 1. As you know, it's verses 9 through 14. And as we'll work through it, we'll see it spells out pretty specifically how we can live a life that pleases God. So we're picking it up right after Paul's Thanksgiving prayer that you studied last week, where he's praising God for how the Colossians are doing spiritually. Then he says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom 
of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So let's work through this prayer, knowing that this is what the Apostle Paul wanted for the Christians of his day, but all of it is 100% relevant to us today. So the first thing we see that Paul prays in verse 9, if you look there, it's, he's asking that they would be filled, filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's will. That word filled, it's to like completely know something, like inside and outside, we should know God's will. And then it's in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So when it comes to all spiritual things, we should have this, this deep, this rich understanding. But it's not for mere knowledge sake, right? I mean, you look, look at how verse 10 starts. It says, so as to walk. So I want you to have this knowledge so that you can live a life that is worthy of God so that you can live fully pleasing to him. And those two phrases, a man are worthy of God, fully pleasing to him, uh, they're like the same thing, they're the same idea. Living in a manner worthy of the Lord is, it's like living in such a way as to match who God is. So this word worthy is referring to like the weight of something. So if we have God's weight, you know, his character, or the things that he's done, his importance, his glory, if you have God on one side, your life should match that. It should be equal in importance because of the God that you say that you serve. So that's living a life that is worthy of the Lord. And that upright, worthy life is a life that pleases God. And sometimes we wonder, you know, is this really possible? Can we, we know we're sinful human beings, can we truly please God? And of course, the answer is yes. That's, that's why the Apostle Paul praise that they would, that they would please God. Um, outside of our relationship with God, of course, we know that we can't. But when we are children of God, we can make him happy. In regards to Paul's wording right here, one commentary defines this type of pleasing, saying it's when we are delightfully yielding to the will of another person for their happiness. So doing what God wants, and it makes him happy. We see this in other places in scripture. Uh, for example, Psalm 147:11 says it like this, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. That's Psalm 147:11. So we affect the heart of God by our lives. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, the apostle Paul is speaking to some other Christians of his day who were also doing well spiritually, and he says to them, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So they're doing well, they're walking in such a way that pleases God. They actually are pleasing God. And he says, and you should keep doing that. You should do that more and more. Of course, the same is true of us, which is really an amazing concept to think about, that we have the ability to affect the heart of God, to please him. And in this text, we see specifically how we can do that. If you look at the end of the phrase, fully pleasing to him, you'll see a colon right there. In the ESV, you see that, and it's because what comes after that is expanding on that phrase. There's four participles that follow in this 
prayer here. So it's saying, this is how you live a life worthy of the Lord. And then there's these ING words that signify that this is a participle, that these are all expanding on the idea of living fully pleasing to the Lord. So you see bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God and so on. So there's four of those, and that's gonna form our outline to see how it is that we can fully please God. Uh, So the first one, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit, we hear that all the time, right? I mean, if you've been around Christianity, you are constantly hearing this concept of bearing fruit, so much so that you might almost hear it literally. You know, like, today I'm supposed to be kind. Today I'm supposed to love people. Today I'm supposed to bear fruit. (laughs) But of course, that's not a literal thing, right? We do not have apples and bananas and pears falling off of us. It's this analogy. Of course, we know that. But sometimes it's good to step back and think of it from square one. What is this analogy all about? So bearing fruit. It's picturing each and every one of us like we are a tree, a tree with a root system. And so you could have a good tree that would have a good root system, or you could have a bad tree that would have a bad root system. And when you're just looking at these trees at first glance, they might look quite similar, but then you get up closer and you see the kind of fruit that is on the tree. And if it is a good tree, it's going to have good fruit on it, right? It's going to have some big, fat, juicy apples or pears or whatever it is. They're going to be good fruits that are coming off of a good tree because it has good roots. And then you go over here to the bad tree, And if you look closely, you see that that fruit is not good fruit. It is diseased fruit. It is decaying fruit. It is nasty fruit. It is not good fruit because the tree is bad because the roots are bad. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus explains it. You could turn there real quick if you wanted to. Luke chapter 6. And we'll see he's explaining this analogy in reference to one specific type of fruit in our lives, our words. So Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45 says... For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So really this analogy even extends to vines and bushes and whatnot. But the idea is you have the roots and that's affecting the fruit. Then Jesus gets to the literal meaning in verse 45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So what comes out of someone's mouth shows what's inside of their heart. So if you have, if you are godly on the inside, then you're going to have godly words come out of you. If you are not godly, if you are of the world, if you're evil, then what you're going to find is words that match that. But it's not just with our words. Um, It can be as broad as characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm sure you know that list well. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, and we know it as the fruits of the Spirit, which makes sense because if the spirit is in your life, what you're going to see is you're gonna see these fruits, these things come out of your life. Your kind of tree is going to give off love, joy, peace, and so on. It's just natural. A spirit-filled tree is going to produce things that come from the spirit. So the idea of bearing fruit is, is having actions, words, characteristics, a lifestyle, really, that matches who we are as Christians. If we are God's children, we're going to be acting like it. If we have the spirit in our lives, it's going to produce certain characteristics. 
for new creations, we should be different from our old self in very practical ways. Basically what it comes down to is God has done a work in our lives and that moves us to live in a certain way, to really obey him. And that's essentially what bearing fruit is. It's obeying God, living how he's designed us to and how he desires us to. So point number one, very simply, if you want to please God, please God by obeying him. God is simply pleased when we just do what he's told us to do. And that's what we're doing when we bear fruit in every good work, which is exactly what God has created us for. Ephesians 2.10, I'm sure you know that passage very well. It says that we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us for this purpose. He has it all planned out, all the good things that he wants us to do, how he wants us to obey him, and the idea of being a workmanship. It's, it's God's work, God's creation. We are his design that is meant to show off God and what he's done in our lives. We're meant to bring him glory by the work that he's done in us. And if that is your ambition, praise God. You are living a life that pleases God. But as we look at this prayer, we realize that Paul, he is praying for people who are doing well spiritually, who are living to please God. And this is his prayer for them. He wants them to continue to set their sights on bearing fruit in every good work. And of course, that is where we need to set our sights as well, to ask ourselves, are we really faithfully bearing the fruit that God has planned for us to bear, that he intends for us to bear, or are we missing some opportunities? Are we bearing fruit in every good work? Or maybe thinking of it as, are we doing all the things that God wants us to do in the way that he wants us to do it? Are we doing the godly things in the godly ways? Is there any way that you are not being as godly as you should be? Is there any times in which you are dragging your feet to do the thing that you know that God wants you to do? Any way that you're not quite obeying how God wants you to obey? All right, sometimes that's our thing is we, we just wanna do the bare minimum. We see this with kids all the time, right? You give them a task, you tell them what it is you want them to do, and they look at that and they think, okay, how can I do this just enough to cross it off the list without doing exactly what mom said in the way that she said to do it? We need to be all in, fully obedient, where there's no question about whether we are bearing the fruit, right? Everywhere we go, every arena of our life, there is no exceptions. We should be bearing fruit. We should be bearing lots of fruit, lots of obedience in our life. Jesus said in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And this is how we bring glory to God. Our obedience should make it obvious to everyone around us, anyone who observes our life. It should be clear that we are disciples of Christ because of our obedience, because of the fruit that we are bearing. So if it's not as obvious as it should be, if you know what God wants you to do, now's the time, right? Bear fruit in every good work. 
If you know there's ways that you should grow, now's the time. Bear fruit in every good work. If there's anything that you know that is inconsistent with the work that God has done in you, live a life worthy of God, the God you say you belong to, and seek to please him by your life, by your obedience. And of course, we all have room to grow. There's always ways that we can seek to live for God better, to obey him more. So let's be as fruitful as he desires us to be. Another way Paul prays that the Colossians will please God is at the end of verse 10. He prays that they live a life worthy of the Lord by increasing in the knowledge of God. So point number two, please God by learning about him. By learning about him. And it really, it sounds quite familiar to the beginning of this prayer that Paul prayed. He wanted them to be filled with all knowledge, right? With all kinds of spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so it's, it's a cycle, really. He prays that they would have a bunch of knowledge so that they can please God. And then he prays that they would please God by learning a bunch of knowledge. And we see this cycle. The more we learn about God and his word, the more we want to live for him, the better we can please him. And as we seek to live for him and we have this kind of spiritual growth, the more that we want to learn about him. And then the more we grow from there on. And that cycle makes sense. I mean, it shouldn't be confusing why knowledge and lives are so interconnected. We see it in in daily life with humans, right, with our friends. As the more we know them, the better we can treat them. And the less we know about them, the less effective we are. I can think of a time that clearly illustrates this, a time that me and my sister like to look back and laugh on. Um, It was when her now husband, back then boyfriend, came to visit her. He traveled from afar. He got to my house before she was there. And so I'm thinking, all right, I should be hospitable to this guy, and I should find some food for him. I couldn't find a lot of options, but I did look in the freezer, and I found some sweet potato fries. And I thought, ah, he seems like a sweet potato fry kind of guy. And so I baked them up. And I offered him to him, and he took them, and we sat over sweet potato fries and had a great conversation. Well, it wasn't until years down the road when I learned that he despises sweet potato fries. Like, it's probably his number one despise. The thing is, I just didn't know, right? If I had known, I would have done things differently, but I didn't know. Now I like to give him a hard time and offer them to him just about any time I see him. But it's just, it's the way it works, right? The more you know about someone, the better you can love them. And of course, it's the same with God. The more we know about him, the better we can please him. And the thing is, when it comes to learning about God, the things that we can learn are endless. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 145. This is a good one to look at. Psalms 145, and there's so many passages that we could look at that would remind us of the vast character of who God is, but this one includes a handful. So let's just look at a few of these verses, starting in verse 3. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, 
and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. We could spend months on each one of these descriptions. I mean, we could do a deeper study on the mighty acts of God. What has he done in history? On his goodness. What does it really mean that he is gracious, or that he is merciful, that he's slow to anger? What is his steadfast love? I mean, God's character is far beyond anything we know, and there is so much that we could learn. One more passage, you could just write it down, Psalms 40, verse 5. Psalms 40, verse 5 says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. If they are more than can be told, they are more than can be learned. There is so much. We should never think that we have arrived. We should never think that there is not more that we can learn about God. We can always be increasing our knowledge of God. And it starts by just wanting to do this. Because in reality, you probably are learning a lot of things about God without even realizing it. And when you are opening up God's word together in your small groups, you are learning about God. As you come and you hear the preaching on Tuesday nights, you are learning about God. As you come to church on the weekends, you are learning about God. I'm sure you're in your Bible throughout the week. You are learning about God. The question is, are you really taking in that information and are you storing it? Do your ears perk up when you start to learn something about God? Do you have these God antennas, right, that are, as you're going through life, you're looking for that information so that you can process it and so that you can store it? We have so much information coming at us all throughout the day, all throughout the week, constantly, whether it's from the news or from the media or from friends, I mean, everywhere, there's information coming at us. And I think without realizing it, what we're doing is we're often choosing what information that we want to pay attention to and that we want to store, and we're doing it according to what we think has value. It reminds me of the way that I take in my surroundings. When we're driving somewhere as a family, my husband is usually the one driving, and I find that I am not taking in my surroundings very well. And the way I know that is because when it is my turn to drive, or my husband is not there, I don't really know where I'm going. <laughs> I have to get out my Waze app, and I have to type in the address of wherever it is that I am heading, because otherwise I'll get lost. And I'm talking about like families' houses that they've lived there for over a decade, <laughs> and we've been there a hundred times. But the problem is, when my husband was driving, I didn't value that information very much. As I'm looking around, it didn't really matter you know, where I was or where exactly I was going until I had to be the one that got there. And then I was really paying attention. I valued the information at that moment. When the information is coming in at us about God, we need to realize how much value that that has. First, it has value because it says that this is how you live a life that pleases God and we want to please God. So just by increasing in our knowledge, we are pleasing him, that has value. And then it has value because of the way that it helps us to live for God better. Because if we know more about God, if we know what pleases him more, then we can live more in line with that. That has value. And then the way that it causes our, our worldview to be more connected to reality, that has value. 
Because like I said, we're, you know, we got information coming at us from all different directions. But that is not always connected to objective truth, right? But when we study about God, God is truth. He is the unchanging truth. The more we learn about him, the more grounded we are, the more perspective we have, the more connected we are to what is really true in life. And we can think more on those things with the kind of perspective that we should have. Maybe you don't have enough information coming in about God in your life. Maybe it's time you do need to open your Bible more throughout the week. Maybe you need to be there with your pen and your highlighter and you need to be paying attention for what am I learning about God as I open the pages of Scripture. Uh, Maybe you need to trade in some of that junk information for more of godly things, for more of God's Word. One of my favorite ways to do it is as I'm going about whatever I'm doing, driving, laundry, whatever, to open up my phone and instead of listening to some other thing or even just listening to my own thoughts, open my Bible app and just press play and let that guy read me the Bible, whether it's at normal speed, 1.5, 2, whatever it is, I'm getting in more information about who God is. And you can really, I mean, listen anywhere, right? I'm gonna open up the Psalms and you're gonna hear more about the greatness of God. Uh, Go to the epistles and learn what it is that God wants. And as we learn what it is God wants, we're learning more about who God is, why he wants those things. Um, Or the gospels, I love opening up to the gospels and learning more about who God is through the person of Jesus, God in human flesh. What do we learn about him there? Maybe find a good book. I'm sure there's plenty in the bookstore that will get your attention on different characteristics of God. I also found that Pastor Mike did a 10-part lecture entitled Studying God. So you could check that out on Focal Point app. Studying God, you are gonna clearly learn a whole lot of depth about who God is. One final thought on our knowledge of God increasing. If you were to picture this to be displayed on a graph, like a line graph, if your knowledge of God is increasing, that means your line is moving forward, right? It's moving up in the right direction. What if you were to take into account forgetfulness? (laughs) I know there's a whole lot of things that I've learned over the years that I've learned about God that I no longer remember. It doesn't stick. I mean, I I opened a book that I read two months ago and it had all these notes written in it and these things highlighted and apparently it was me. (laughs) I could not remember a single thing that I read in that chapter. So mathematically speaking, if we are going to increase in our knowledge of God, we might need to add some things if we're going to make up for the information that we are also losing. Right? We want our chart to continue to move the right direction year after year after year. So let's make sure we are learning more about God. And what's so great about both of these things, about bearing fruit and about putting in the effort to learn more about God, is the fact that we are not doing it on our own. We are not doing it in our own strength. And that's really where the next part of Paul's prayer points to. It points to the way in which God helps us as we live for him. So let's look back at the text. Back in Colossians 1, it says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, he prays that they are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. And the verse ends with joy. Many commentaries say that with joy is actually connected to the next participle, giving thanks. So we're to be joyfully giving thanks 
although clearly we should endure whatever we go through in life with joy. I mean, that is definitely a biblical concept. But the main point here really is God gives us the power to allow us to do whatever he's called us to do in a godly way. It's not just power, it's massive power. This word strengthened, it means that we are empowered. So it's, we are empowered with power, but not just with power, right? With all power, according to God's glorious might, to his glorious power. I mean, I might as well say that the power that you've been given is the greatest power imaginable. So how do we live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? We rely on God's power. That's point number three. If you want to please God, please him by relying on him. Relying on him to just get you through life, to get you through life with that endurance and patience that you should have. Those words, they are the same idea, but they can emphasize some different elements. Um, Endurance is the ability maybe to get through trying circumstances while patience is getting through it well, with purity, with kindness. Or it's sometimes said that endurance is getting through hard times while patience is dealing with hard people. Basically, life comes with hard stuff in all different directions, and God will help us get through it well. And this really is the secret to a godly life. We see that in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about the journey that he's been on, and he talks about the kind of life that he's had, where it's had some ups and it's had some downs. And he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret of contentedly getting through life no matter what comes is God's strength. And all throughout history, we see Christians getting through the impossible, which they are clearly doing by God's strength. We see that all throughout Acts, different examples of the Christians, the early Christians, Acts chapter 5 comes to mind where the apostles, uh, they were being beaten and they responded by rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and then they even went on to keep preaching some more. It's no doubt how martyrs throughout the centuries have been able to rejoice, have been even known to be singing up into their death while they're burning at the stake. Uh, It's how Christians that we might even know right now are dying with honor and with courage because they are trusting in their God. They are relying on him. I think of uh, someone like Corey Ten Boom, you know, a woman who went through World War II. During that time, she was in a concentration camp with her sister, and she ended up meeting and in that moment forgiving the man that killed her sister in a concentration camp. And what she said is when we are powerless to do a thing, it is a great joy that we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. It's his power that carries us through whatever it is that we face in life. There's this gal that I knew in high school, and I don't know her anymore, but I do see her life from afar on social media. 
So I see these posts that she's making, and I am reading all about her husband, who's probably in his late 30s, and how he, his life is just, I mean, he's, he's dying from cancer. Day by day, it's getting worse. And as I'm looking at her post, she is describing her life with such hope and such courage and peace and strength. And I know it's not because she thinks he's going to get better. She gives no hints about that at all whatsoever. But I can tell it's because she's trusting in God. And as I look at her from afar, I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of the way that she's handling this. I mean, how do you have that kind of strength and that kind of courage and that kind of hope? And then one day recently it struck me, maybe I shouldn't be all that surprised. Because she has a God who strengthens her with all power according to his glorious might. We should expect that God will show up no matter what it is we face. Whether it's the disaster that we always dread or if it's just that that daily grind that we're dealing with. It could be massive suffering or it could just be hard people in our lives. Just those moments in our life where we, we think, I can't do this anymore. I'm done, I quit, I'm over this. No, I'm just done. It's in those moments that we need to remember that God is there and he can strengthen us. He will empower us. We start to lose sight of this when we start dwelling instead on how hard it is, right? We can just rehearse in our mind over and over again. This is just so hard. Right? The, the things I'm dealing with, I mean, this is, this is just too much. The situation that I have going on, I, and we just go over it and over it in our mind. What we need to recount in those moments is not how hard it is, but this concept right here. I have a God who empowers me, who strengthens me with all power according to his glorious might. And I mean say that again and again and again. Ask God, God, give me your power, and then trust him that he will. And then you move forward doing whatever it is he's called you to do, knowing that he will show up, that he will be there giving you the strength that you need. And he won't give you power for tomorrow, so don't worry about that, don't worry about what's to come, but he will give you the strength that you need right now for today, for whatever he's calling you to do. Rely on him the one who gives you access to the greatest power imaginable. Which of course is nothing to God because he has given you access to far more than that. And that's what we see in this last portion of Paul's prayer. So let's look back there if you're not still there. Back at our text one more time, Colossians chapter one. We're gonna read the last three verses, 12 through 14. Starts with our last participle, pointing back to how we can live a life that pleases God, and it's by giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of concepts there, but clearly we can summarize it by saying that we should be grateful for what God has done. So please, God, by first just being grateful to him. And there's, I'd say, six different dimensions of our salvation in these verses, all bringing out the profound gift that it is. 
Let's look at the first one. He's qualified us. So he's qualified us to share in the inheritance, of course, speaking of our eternal home. But just think of that word qualified. We are not qualified, right? We are the opposite of qualified. And there is no qualifying ourselves for the inheritance, for being with God, for anything from God. And really, we're helpless. I mean, if you've ever not been qualified for something, you realize that there's no like soft way to squeeze your way in right? You are not qualified for that loan. Sorry. You know, you're not qualified for the team. Sorry. You are not qualified for that medical help. Sorry. If you're not qualified, you're not qualified. But what if the very person who told you you're not qualified, if they got qualified and they gave that qualifiedness to you? You're not qualified. You're never going to be qualified, but they are qualified. And so they handed that to you. I mean, that's kind of an illogical gift, right? I mean, it's an amazing gift. It doesn't even make sense. And of course, that's exactly what God did for us. We are not qualified to be in his presence. We're not qualified to have an eternal home with him. We're not qualified to have anything from him, but he is qualified and he made us qualified through his life and his death and his resurrection. And then the second thing that we can look at is the fact that he gives us an inheritance, God's people were always looking forward to their inheritance, to a land of their own, and God does intend to fulfill that eternally. An eternal home, think about that. The God who made us, he made our desires. He knows what is gonna ultimately fulfill us the most, and he has a place for us. He has a home for us where it's going to be the ultimate type of fulfillment. It's like the things that we love here on this earth are barely a taste of what it's gonna be like when we have our inheritance. It's like probably nothing we've ever known and yet everything we've always longed for. And this inheritance is with the saints. Think about that. Every Christian from all of time, you're going to be experiencing God's good gifts with them, with the Apostle Paul, with the Colossian Christians, with Moses, with missionaries like Jim Elliott or with preachers like Charles Spurgeon or just with Christians that you know and you love. God has reserved for us an inheritance together forever. And then he's not only qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. It's this fear dominated by evil and sinfulness and ignorance of God and his ways It's an absence of light. It's the tyranny of godlessness, which cares nothing for us. And he's taken us from that, and instead we're brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. Under the kind rulership of royalty, divine royalty, the kingdom the father has given his beloved son to rule. We're brought under that perfect rulership. And sometimes we can forget, like, what does that really mean? How good is that really? Well, just think of one of the most gruesome historical pictures you've ever seen. And let's say you're living there. You're living there in that darkness. Maybe bodies piled up all over the place and starvation. People are deceiving each other. People are destroying each other. And this is your home. This is where you live in this cold, dark, deceptive place. Then someone comes in and they come in to rescue you from that and they do it at great cost to themselves. They take you out of there and they take you 
to their kingdom. A kingdom with a good, kind ruler. You get to clean yourself off. You get to live in this place in the warmth, in the safety, in the security, in the kindness of a kingdom that is well-ordered, that has a perfect ruler. And that right there, that is nothing compared to the spiritual reality of God taking us from the domain of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We left the power of Satan and we're now in the kingdom of God. That is an amazing reality that God has accomplished in our life. And finally, verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's referring back here to his beloved son, in whom the beloved son who brought us into the kingdom, through him we have redemption. Of course, you know that's the concept of paying a price to free us from the slavery that we're in. He has freed us. And finally, that gave us forgiveness of sins, which is not the erasing of marks on a chalkboard as if it's that smooth and easy. It's through the bruised and bloody body of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's through him that we have forgiveness of sins. God has been good to us. So of course it is with joy, with great joy, that we should be giving thanks to him. And the problem is, though, that we know that. We've heard it over and over again. And eventually, it's like we, we just kind of go and like, autopilot mode, right? Like, yes, I have been saved from a lot. Yes, I have salvation. Yes, God has been good to me. It's like spiritual autopilot mode. It's, maybe it's brain laziness, but it's very easy to do. I can think of how I, I practically did this the other day. Um, I was driving, because apparently I had problems driving when this happened, and I'm going to pick up one of my children and as I'm driving there, all of a sudden, I'm on the freeway. I'm like, wait, I'm not supposed to be on the freeway. Why am I on the freeway? But I was driving on this road that I always drive right before I get on the freeway to head home. So I drive this road often. And so there I am. And I'm not thinking that much because here I am. I'm always here. I just do this. And so I got in chill mode. I got in autopilot mode. If we're going to be truly thankful for our salvation, we have got to fight autopilot mode. We have got to think deeply and clearly about what God has done for us. We need to remember God's goodness every time we pray to him. We should be thinking about God's goodness to us. Maybe it'd be good to take these three verses and put them on a post-it note. It would be good to memorize it to think on these truths often, to constantly remind ourselves where we came from, what we deserve, but then God stepped in and he did something. He qualified us, he delivered us, he saved us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, he has been good to us. And because of that, it should be our great joy, our pleasure to do anything for God that we can. I mean, think about wanting to give a gift to the person that you love the most. I mean, no, we can't repay God but we can give him something that makes him happy. We can bring delight to God. We can please God. In a sense, this passage in God's word 
God's word serves as kind of like a, an Amazon wish list, right? Where we have this handful of items, this handful of things that we know that God wants from us. I'm sure you've gotten a gift for somebody from their Amazon wish list. You know, they just, they have a list of things that they want. It's exactly what they want. You know what it is. You know the size. You know the color. You know whatever it is. And they even have the cool buy now button, right? If you are certain that you want this, you just click buy now and it's on its way. So your friend, she wants this. I want to get it for her. Click. Boom. Done. But to put in perspective the kind of gift that it is we would be giving God, picture a child on that Amazon account. Little Johnny wants to get something for his dad. He wants to make his dad happy. And so he goes on his dad's wish list because he knows there's where he can find exactly what dad wants. And so he looks at it and he goes, oh, I want to get this for dad. This is what I want to buy. I know how to do this. And so he clicks the buy now button. But of course, Johnny's not actually really buying this because Johnny doesn't have any money, right? He's using his dad's money to buy this. But then he gives this gift to his dad and his dad is so happy. He is fully pleased. And he gives Johnny a big hug and he says, thank you, son, I love it. The effort that he put in That meant something to his dad's heart. Just the love that Johnny was trying to show meant something to his dad. And here we are looking at God's wish list in a sense. You know, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, relying on him, giving him thanks. And if we were to go to do this, we would just be living the life for him that he has given us to live. Right? I mean, we owe our very existence to him. And we're doing it in the strength that he is giving us in order to do it. And we are doing it because of his kindness to us. I mean, our gift really is not all that impressive. And yet God allows it to be something that brings joy to his heart, that pleases him. I mean, every one of these things should be that obvious by now moments, right? Without hesitation. I mean, if we can make God's heart happy, absolutely we want to. This is where our focus ought to be. Lord, I want to please you. So through God's power, and paying attention more to these four things, let's do this. Let's please God more and more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for making us your children. I thank you that we can please you. I mean, it makes no sense just thinking of who we are and who you are. The more we learn about you, the more amazing we realize you are, and yet somehow you allow us to affect you. God, that's amazing, and we do want to please you. God, help us to want to please you more. Help us to want to please you more than we want to please ourselves. Help us to want to please you more than we want to please other people. And God, I pray that this would come to our minds often and that with that, we would think of these specific ways, that it just wouldn't be this broad thought that we want to please you and and this is what we do in life, but we would get specific with it, that we would think of these things that we know that you want. And of course, there's there's more in your word that you tell us that you want. But God, as we study this passage, we see four things that allow our lives to live fully pleasing to you. God, I pray that we would take that seriously, that we would run with it, that our lives would be more pleasing to you tomorrow than they were today and more the next week, and so on, God. I pray that you would help us to increase 
the way that we live for you. Help us to do it better. In Jesus' name, amen.